Welcome to Perfectly Imperfect, a podcast on mental health for folks of color. I'm your host, John Zell Anderson, licensed professional counselor. I'm the owner of Panoramic Counseling, where I specialize in treating teens and young adults in Richmond, Virginia, and throughout the Commonwealth of Virginia through online counseling. Let's get into the show. This episode is part of a summer book club that I'm hosting on this podcast. In efforts to read and write more on topics related to race and injustice, I decided to log out of my Instagram account for the summer, and I'm instead focusing my time and energy here. Thanks for joining me on this journey. The series that I'm doing this summer is going to be more uh, casual in nature in comparison to the first season of my podcast where I did interviews each week. The reason I'm doing this is because I started reading post-traumatic slave syndrome a couple of months ago, and then I realized that the material is very uh, deep and um, has to be digested uh, at a slower pace. So I do a lot of book reviews on my website, um, anything that's mental health related. So I thought I would try something different this time and do a audio version of a book review. And I'll kind of be sharing the insights that I've gained as I kind of go through this. So it'll probably be broken up into a few episodes. I don't know how many it will be. Um, But to get started for today, I'm going to talk about the first two chapters of the book. So to begin, we know PTSD commonly as post-traumatic stress disorder. So with changing the term to post-traumatic slave syndrome, it's basically based in recent research in the field of epigenetics, which has found that trauma, which is bad things happening to us, can be passed down in our DNA. And so when traumas are experienced by our ancestors, we're more predisposed to the responses of that trauma. And so that concept is not something that I knew much about. Uh, This book was actually recommended to me by a colleague. But there's an opening quote in the book that really stuck out to me to let me know that this was going to be something that would be more of a journey of awareness uh, for myself. And another reason that I want to kind of share this uh, with whoever's out there listening. So This is a quote uh, from Dr. Joy DeGry's book, and it goes, Those who have been the victims of years, decades, and centuries of oppression must heal from injuries received firsthand, as well as those passed down through the ages. Those who have been the perpetrators of these unspeakable crimes and those who continue to benefit from those crimes have to honestly confront their deeds and heal from the psychic wounds that come with being the cause and beneficiaries of such pain and suffering, end quote. So this series is not, there's no particular goal in sharing uh, the insights that I gained from this book beyond my own um, discovery process, but I have a feeling that it'll be beneficial for those listening. So As I'm recording this particular episode, um, it is April 28th, 2021. Uh, Last week, we had 
the verdict of the George Floyd uh, murder trial. And so while justice was somewhat served with the verdicts, um, as I reflect at this particular time, it's been a nonstop over the past year of death after death between COVID and Black folks being uh, murdered at the hands of law enforcement. And so as I obviously live in this world and we're all seeing what's happening, obviously being a person of color, it impacts me on a deeper level. And then on top of that, to be learning about this concept of post-traumatic slave syndrome, it, it, it magnifies the, the importance of these concepts, right? So that quote that I just shared, if our traumas are passed down genetically, people of, uh, or black people in particular, their traumas are significant, right, in this country, because there's 400 years of enslavery, bondage, trauma, generations after generation. In the current day and time where people are, inevitably there's there's folks out there who will say, well, you know, the civil rights movement has, you know, passed and there's no more racism and things like that. Obviously, that's wrong. But it's worth mentioning that we're not that far removed from this institution that our country has practiced uh, for centuries Uh, And we're definitely not removed from the consequences of it. So we have a lot of fallout. We have a lot of systems in place that are based on our country's history. So another quote throughout their lives, and the violent attacks during slavery persisted long after emancipation. In the face of these injuries, those traumatized adapted attitudes and behaviors in order to simply survive. And these adaptations continue to manifest today. End quote. So I share this quote because it's basically the thesis of the entire book. So it's historical in nature, but the author's aim is to help those who are impacted by post-traumatic slave syndrome to begin to wrap their mind around why we are where we are today. And from there, once you have awareness, you know, I as a therapist always tell people half the battle is gaining awareness of what's wrong. And then the other part is dealing with it after you have that awareness. So I like that uh, Dr. DeGray um, basically is painting this Um, historical narrative um, for the readers to understand where we've been, why we are where we're at, and I believe that the book wraps up with some next steps for folks to take. So it's definitely going to be a journey. I am learning a lot so far. I learned bits and pieces of the history in the the first... um, two chapters of this book, obviously going through school in the United States, but a lot of the details um, were left out. So 
we all learned about like the three-fifths compromise during the Constitutional Convention of 1787. The thing that I guess struck me as I look at this from an adult's vantage point is that, you know, basically the delegates in the South wanted to argue that their slaves should be counted as part of the population for political reasons, right? At the same time, they were claiming that their slaves were the at the level of livestock, right? So they're not human enough to have rights, but they're human enough to be counted towards the population for political gain. Obviously, there's a double standard there. And so the compromise to get the Constitution ratified was that the slave population in the South, in each of the localities, would count for three-fifths of a person. So it wouldn't count as a whole human, but three-fifths of a human. So it's like we literally put mathematical numbers to um, these folks as humanity. And we learned about this in school, but I guess it, it takes on new meaning to me as an adult kind of looking at this in a, on, a, on a deeper level. And it goes beyond just the three-fifths compromise, but it's in order for slavery to have been able to be the industry and the backbone of the economy for many years, it there was a lot of little steps that had to go into it, right? So we had to normalize the fact that slaves are valued at subhuman level to justify basically the the abuse that was uh, inflicted on these people. So here's another quote. Slavery as practiced in North America was a response to the Protestant religio-economic dictum that wealth demonstrates morality and to the even older dictum of fear and hatred of, quote, outsiders. Because Africans did not worship the Christian God, their lives were insignificant compared to the mandate of wealth for their masters. Slavery was not, for the most part, seen as evil at all, but almost a morality, since it, quote, protected slaves from destitution, put them to work, and led to wealth for God's chosen. These beliefs created a system of slavery unequaled in brutality and gave rise to the American brand of racism. And so as I look at that and reflect on that, it's I can't help but think of some of the things that we see today. We just had an election, and a lot of conservative Christian folks behaved in a way that in any other capacity would be criminal um, and had gotten behind a candidate that was directly racist carried on as if this candidate was within God's will. And 
And so that very last line of the quote that I shared, I'm going to share it again. These beliefs created a system of slavery unequaled in brutality and gave rise to the American brand of racism. It's not too often that I guess I've been able to see the parallels of how history is influencing the present, but that particular line sticks out to me because we're seeing every day that if we reduce someone's value, in this case, it's often black men and women uh, dealing with law enforcement, then it justifies the brutality. So when the trial was going on for George Floyd, part of the defense, part of their tactic was to talk about George Floyd's past and struggle with drug addiction. If you go for someone's character or dig up dirt on them, it makes folks feel better about brutality that has occurred. So they'll go for, oh, this person used drugs, which they're not directly saying, well, they used drugs so they deserve to die. But our legal system has basically done that and proven that time and time again. Young men who are wearing hoodies are murdered because they were perceived as a threat. Black people are assumed dangerous before they ever open their mouth because of the color of their skin. And it's happening, it's happening way too often. It shouldn't happen at all. But as I reflect on these first couple chapters of this book, it it really, really stuck out to me that that beginning and that justification that started the institution of slavery is the same exact systemic principles that are allowing the tragedies and atrocities to continue uh, in this country to this day. And I don't have a, a nice little conclusion to this section beyond just putting that parallel together. I'm going to share one more um, piece to kind of drive this point home. Because I think some people tune out when we compare our current system of law enforcement to the institution of slavery. But the parallels are undeniable. Here's a, a quote here. The Virginia Code of 1705 removed criminal consequences for killing an enslaved person in the act of correcting them, and if any slave resists his master or owner or other person by his or her order correcting such slave and shall happen to be killed in such correction, it shall not be accounted a felony. But the master, owner, and every such other person so giving correction shall be free and acquitted of all punishment and accusation for the same, as if such accident had never happened. 
So basically, there were laws to protect people who killed a slave. It was ingrained in legislation to, when they're talking about correction, it could be beating, it could be shooting, it could be hanging, mutilating. By law, it's considered an accident and not a felony. Um, And the person walks free and clear. I guess I didn't realize how reactive this would feel, even as I'm sharing this in a recorder uh, for a podcast, right? How heavy this feels and how apparent it is as we see time and time again. So many names, so many lives lost in situations where there are The person is black, unarmed, and gunned down, and it's considered an accident, right? A couple weeks ago, at the time of this recording, we had a female officer who killed a young man and claims that she was reaching for her taser and grabbed the gun instead. And I think black people that hear these things of course were outraged but there's something wrong when I think as black people we get to the point of feeling jaded and numb because we've seen time and time again where folks are completely in the wrong they do things under you know racial pretense and they kill somebody but it's declared an accident. George Zimmerman is still a free man to this day, uh, even though he murdered Trayvon Martin. It would not have surprised me if uh, Derek Chauvin had not been convicted because the system is set up to protect law enforcement. And so then when we saw the conviction happen, naturally, of course, we're happy that justice was served. And I've had, you know, um, folks ask me, well, what are your thoughts on that? And my response is, this is an exception in a long line of people who will never have justice. Um... And the point I'm trying to get at is when the pattern has repeated itself so much that we expect it to go wrong and for someone to get away with murdering somebody, in this case where it's a black person and a white police officer, when you get to the point where you're by default thinking that the person's going to get away with it and that it's a exception and a surprise when justice is actually served, that is a good example of what Dr. DeGray is talking about of post-traumatic slave syndrome, right? We have in our genes 
black people, recurrent trauma that has occurred, right? Through institutions of slavery, Jim Crow, present times. And then we see the world around us and we see injustice after injustice. To my understanding, the trauma being passed down in the DNA, it predisposes one to... It's kind of like alcoholism is passed down in DNA, right? So a person may be more likely to become an alcoholic if they come from genetically a line of, you know, alcoholic people. So as I think about that, as a person of color... I'm genetically predisposed to the triggers of the trauma that my ancestors have endured. In addition to dealing with my own trauma, I've shared before about an instance where my life was threatened by a law enforcement officer. And then when I see what happens with black people in law enforcement, over and over again. It magnifies what I experience. So it's not a it's not a thing like, oh, this thing happened to me and now I have to deal with it. It's this thing is happening to me and even if it's vicarious, vicarious trauma means you're watching um, something uh, happening or you're hearing about it. I'll post a link to an article I wrote about uh, vicarious trauma in the show notes. The genetic trauma in combination with my own experiences being a black man and having the consequences of that based on a society that I live in. And in addition to the ongoing slaying of people that look like me. All of that works together to really, it, it really can beat a person down, even if you're doing all of the right mental health, you know, therapy, exercise, activism, all of the things, right, to overcome. I guess my point here is to humanize and to, I guess, reflect on and to share my awareness as I kind of go through this book that I remember in school, let me put it this way, they would, there was that like saying of those who fail to learn their history are doomed to repeat it. I'm sure somebody is like credited with that quote. I'm not sure who, but In my case, I'm reading this book. It's only like probably 200 and something pages. It's not a big book. So I'm learning my history. But it's surreal because I'm seeing this history that's being talked about being repeated every day in the media. So I don't really know how to conclude today's conversation. But thank you for listening. And on the next episode, I will 
kind of reflect on the next chapter or two um, as I continue reading this book. Anchor is everything you need to make a podcast, and best of all, it's free. They offer creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor also distributes your podcast, so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts, and many more. Did I mention that you can make money from your podcast no matter the size of your following? Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started today. If you enjoyed this episode, you can support this podcast by buying me a coffee. The link is in this episode's show notes. Thanks in advance.